Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Aisha and Brother Amir. Shukran for having me on your podcast this evening. And uh, yeah, shukran for coming to Islamic Relief. Welcome to the offices of the Islamic Relief South Africa. So um, we've we've had um, Brother Yusuf on our uh, on the podcast before mm. on AccidentalMuslims.com, um, and we have to have you back. Um, you we wanted to just shift focus a little bit because at that time you the interview I don't think you were the director of Islamic Relief as yet, and so we just wanted to. And I was just thinking when we came here, it's it's quite interesting because every single one of us in the room has some kind of connection to you. Zahid is missing Benim as well. Um, so that is quite interesting. Yes. <laughs> okay, so let's, 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 get, let's get straight into it. We're going to still ask the same first question, okay. which is, who is Yusuf? Who is Yusuf? Yes. Um, yeah, the last answer I gave, not to repeat that, but I'm just a you know, normal guy trying to do my best conscious or try to be conscious of my responsibilities and try to fulfill my duty firstly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as best I can and then to my family and friends and the community I've mentioned before I just see myself as all of us are just travelers you know we're on this earth for a short time gathering some provision but we're moving on so just try and gather as much as I can while I'm here. Let, then let's go right <coughs> to Islamic Relief. I okay. think that's, that's and we, mm. we actually, like you said, we're at the offices. It's mm. a nice sitting fast. Mm. Um, how did that happen? So how did you get involved with Islamic Relief? What was it about Islamic Relief? About Islamic Relief? Um, yeah, I suppose the first encounter with Islamic Relief goes back to when we were still involved with student work that was during 2000. Um, I wasn't on campus at the time, but I was very much involved with the MSA. Um, yeah, I still love the MSA, very passionate about the MSA, about students and the work that students do and, and youth in general, but specifically students on campus. It's a special like interest of mine. And at that time, we were getting the students involved with various volunteering activities. Um, Islamic Relief at the time, uh, it was, I think it was 2008, when, uh, no, actually it was before then, 2006, when uh, Islamic Relief at that time, the country director was Brother Qasim Khan. And we, uh, we got involved with them offering to assist with the Ramadan food and food distribution. That was the first time we, we actually got involved with Islamic Relief. And then from time to time, I used to volunteer for various uh, social outreach uh, activities. Um, in my current role, it was something which, uh, subhanAllah, wasn't planned uh, in any way. Um, I've always, I think, had this interest in community work and being involved in, in something, you know, to benefit the community. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala planned, I, um, there was a time during 2006 when the previous country director at Islamic Relief, Brother Yusuf Patel, uh, took ill. And um, then there was a need for somebody just to assist him 
the board at the time because I was involved with you know some of the stakeholders at, Islam- at Islamic Relief and they knew who I was. They approached me to uh, to get involved to check whether I was interested and it just so happened at that time um, I had a bit of a gap. You know, I, I had a project management company. And most people know me from Rosmid, you know, and making <laughs> rolls and bread and stuff. And especially the Sundays, you know, coming to Rosmid for rolls and bread. Yeah, but anyway, after after we closed Rosmid, which is a story on its own, maybe another episode. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but at, at the time uh, when we closed Rosmid, we sta- I started another business, a project management business. And we used to implement projects for national government. Uh, it was it involved creating job opportunities for, for historically disadvantaged people, especially people with low skill, low education levels. And it just so happened, like I said, it was an opportune time how everything just fit together. At that time, there was a, a period that we were basically, we had nothing to do. Uh, it was about five months when we had no projects to implement. And I thought to myself, okay, at least for that period, I can assist in whatever way I can and try my, you know, as best as possible to make some kind of a difference. So I got involved at Islamic Relief, but then uh, Brother Yusuf at the time, in his, his health was not, he wasn't really in the best of health, and he decided that he wanted to focus on his, on rather recovery. So I got uh, approached by the board again and said, look, this is going to have to become a permanent position, would you be interested? And it was something that I really had to consider, yes. you know, long and hard. I had to consult with my family because it was a total change, you know. It's not only a change in, in job uh, or in career. In fact, uh, my neighbor pointed it out to me. He said that, look, Yusuf, this is actually your first job. <laughs> this is, you know, this is your fir- yes. the first time yes. you're, you're being employed somewhere because yes. prior to that, we had our own business and I had my own business, family business, then my project management business. But... As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans, um, then led from me becoming firstly the COO, which is the Chief Operating Officer. Yes. And then in August of 2017, uh, when the uh, outgoing uh, CEO, Brother Yusuf Patel, decided that he was going to rather step out and focus on his health and recovering. And Alhamdulillah has made an amazing recovery, praise be to Allah. But then the board appointed me as the CEO of Islamic Relief and uh, that, that's how I got involved okay okay <laughs> I just had to know so so that change yeah um, obviously like you said professionally that was yeah. a big difference um, big. we you kind of worked yourself and yeah. now you're working for but with regards to that and it being Islamic Relief what was the per, like the kind of the personal change mm-hmm. and development that you went through okay firstly I, I, I think I've used this example before. I don't know if I, uh, last time I was chatting with Amir and I used this example, but I've used, now recently used it a few times. You know, when, for example, you have some uh, hero or celebrity, or somebody that you admire, most times the celebrities of today, you know, something about, you, about them attracts you and you become infatuated and you take a liking to them. But the more you learn about them, the more you you scratch beneath the surface, you actually realize, no, this person's not, you know, who I thought they were. And the more you learn about them, you actually start disliking them and sometimes even despising them if you find out who they real, the person really is. And then I, I compare that to the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu. The more you learn about them, the more you love them. 
right? You learn about you, you hear something about Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, but then when you find out something else about him, you say, "Wow, you know, it's just you just love this person, even though you never met him, you just love him more." The same with all the Sahaba. The more you learn about them, just the more you you just fall in love with them. Now, Islamic Relief is like one of those organizations. You see it on the outside and you think, wow, it's an amazing organization doing amazing work. But once you get involved and you see really what happens behind the scenes, and not to say that, you know, no organization is perfect. There's nothing perfect in this dunya. But the organization itself and what it does and the work that it does on the ground, but not only what it does, but how it does it and the standards that are set, um, it's second to none. And like I said, it's one of those organizations, like the Sahaba. The more you learn about it, just the more you love it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Can you maybe share with us um, a bit of a background behind how Islamic Relief was formed and uh, maybe some of the founders involved as well? Okay. Um, Islamic Relief started back in 1982. Um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful story. And I think what Islamic Relief is today is because of how everything started. Uh, it was started by, I mean, everybody is familiar with uh, one of the founding members. He's considered to be the founding father of Islamic Relief, uh, Dr. Hani Al-Banna. Um, there were a few other uh, founders at the time, uh, Dr. Muhammad Al-Alfi and a few others. What had happened was Dr. Hani was uh, a medical doctor. He had completed his degree at Cairo, in Cairo at, I think it was Azad University. And then he went to the UK to do a fellowship uh, at one of the universities in Birmingham. I can't remember the name. But while he was there in 1982, there was a severe famine in the Sudan. He heard about it and it just so happened at the same time there was a medical conference that was taking place uh, in Sudan at the same time. So well, he decided that he wanted to go to the conference to attend it and he never had the funds. So he went to a local masjid, spoke to the Imam, told the Imam, look, he'd love to attend this conference that's happening in Sudan. He doesn't have the funds. Could the Imam try and, you know, solicit from the community some funds for him to go to this conference? And then after a couple of days, the Imam contacted him and told him, look, he's got the money now. He can buy the ticket and go to Sudan. He flew then to Sudan. When he arrived there, because of the famine that was taking place, as you know, when, whenever there's a famine or severe crisis in, uh, in any country, what happens is people normally get displaced. So they are literally refugees within their own country. They move to what they call IDP camps or internally displaced persons camps where the services are provided by whichever organizations, humanitarian organizations, and sometimes governments provide aid in those uh, like camps, and then the people move to these camps. So the taxi driver that picked him up at the airport before dropping him off at the hotel took him around to the various camps to actually see what the condition was of the, you know, the people who were suffering because of the famine. He was so touched by what he had seen. The moment he got back to Birmingham, he went back to this mosque. He told the Imam, uh, explained to the Imam what he had seen and told him, look, we need to do something. Whatever it is, we need to raise funds for the crisis in Sudan. And the Imam obviously gave him an opportunity. He said he would speak about it. He st stood up in the mosque and spoke about it. And they uh, collected, decided they were going to start a collection with buckets. 
And the first collection or the first donation that was made rather to Islamic Relief was 20 pence. This was back in 1982. 20 pence was equivalent probably because of the exchange rate, maybe about 30 South African cents or, or maybe even less than that because the exchange rate was much more favorable. But th- yeah, but this was, this was the first donation. So Dr. Hani always says that he is not the founder of Islamic Relief. There are three founders of Islamic Relief. It's the person that paid for his ticket. He doesn't know who that person is. He never met him. He doesn't know who he is. Right? The taxi driver that took him around to the various camps to see what the condition was because that's what impacted him. And this young boy that gave his 20 pence pocket, it was his pocket money, and put it in the bucket. So Dr. Hani says, these are the three founders of Islamic Relief. And can you imagine what their ajr will be on the day of Qiyamah when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? To give you an idea, from that 20 pence, which was our first donation, to 2018, where we spent globally just in 2018 on projects worldwide, over 100 million pounds. Wow. That was spent on projects worldwide. Now imagine this, it's, it's been over 100 million pounds, I think, for the last two or three years. Before that, it was always like 90,000 90, or uh, thereabouts, you know, uh, 90. Sorry, 900, no, 100 million, yeah, 90 odd thousand. It was 100 million, you know, 90 odd million pounds, sorry. Now imagine the, the person that started everything off, right? He had no idea, just his sincere intention for giving that money. Maybe it was a couple of hundred pounds at the time for the ticket. But this was what, where everything started. So Dr. Ani says, imagine this person, the Dev Qiyama, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, calls him up and says, you know, come here, see, this is your section of Jannah because of all the people that you helped. And he won't know how it happened, but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, however it's going to be on the screen that time, you know, <laughs> you know just have a look. This is, this is what you did and this is what happened thereafter. You had no idea, but the sincere intention with which you gave that, and that's why Dr. Hani always says Islamic Relief is not built on offices. It's not built on the infrastructure that we have today. Alhamdulillah, today Islamic Relief is in over 40 countries around the world. Um, and it, it, Islamic Relief is the largest Muslim NGO in the world. Um, it is estimated, as I said, because we keep records of everything since Islam. Then Islamic Relief was re- registered in 1984. Prior to that, it was purely voluntary, uh, volunteer-driven. And that's why Dr. Dr. Hani, and even for us, we believe that the barakah of this organization lies in the volunteers. We have staff that are paid, like I said, all over the world, but the real barakah, the real blessing of this organization lies in the people that give of themselves, that give you know, and sacrifice their time, their personal resources, because that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for me, you know, really uses to push and to fuel this organization uh, in its upward trajectory and in its growth path since it started until now. It is estimated that in 2018, by the end of 2018, Islamic Relief had saved or changed the lives of 120 million people. 120 million people. And I imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever saved the life of one, it is as if he saved the life of, of the whole of mankind, now imagine all of this started off with this people that had no idea, well, they had no idea what would happen from there. And for us also, for volunteers, you never know, and for the volunteers that are listening, that will watch, you know, you never know just what barakah Allah puts in your sincere action. So we encourage you, you know, to get involved and, uh, you know, 
get in, not even not with Islamic Relief, but there's so many organizations get involved and volunteer. How do you keep connected with the rest of the, the agencies across the world? With, with the rest of the agencies, I mean, that's one of the things I think Islamic Relief prides itself on. Wherever possible, we always network with other organizations. In fact, in fact Dr. Hani, who is the founder of Islamic Relief, he, it's well known in the UK, he visits all the charities, Muslim and uh, obviously a faith-based charities like yes. Islamic Relief and yeah. many other Muslim faith-based charities, even Christian faith-based charities. Because of his experience, Dr. Hani is so much in demand and he's vis- constantly visiting charities, offering them advice um, and, you know, they soliciting his advice in various aspects of operations. Islamic Relief, as I said, is always looking to partner with organizations uh, in order, because at the end of the day, what is the purpose of, of our organization and others like ours? The purpose is not about building the organization. In fact, we wish that there was no need for organizations like mm-hmm. ours. We wish that there wasn't a need. We wish that everybody's rights were being provided for and people's needs were taken care of and there was nobody in need of humanitarian assistance. Mm-hmm. But the reality of today is that there is a huge need and in fact the need far exceeds the capacity that currently is available to, to provide for those needs. So, uh, like in the UK, Islamic Relief is part of a cluster of NGOs called the Disaster, the Disaster Emergency Committee. It's 13 NGOs. It's like really the top NGOs in the world, Save the Children, um, Oxfam, you know, the real big NGOs, International Red Cross. These 13 NGOs, they, when a disaster of a certain magnitude strikes, whether it's man-made or like through wars or so, or natural disaster, if it's of a certain scale, then these 13 organizations, they drop their name and they operate under this one umbrella called the Disaster Emergency Committee. Uh, in, in, Islam, in the UK as well, Islamic Relief is a founding member of the Muslim Charities Forum. So it's a forum where various Muslim NGOs get together to share knowledge and experience in order to develop uh, Islamic Relief. Also in the UK has established, it used to be called the Islamic Relief Academy. And that is to provide support and assistance, not only to Islamic Relief, but to other NGOs as well, where we offer different courses covering all aspects of humanitarian relief organization operations, uh, administration, programs, implementation, fundraising even. And uh, any organization, you know, can sign up for a course and share in the vast experience that has been gained over the years. So when it comes to um, you know humanitarian relief work, there is no room for being selfish or being self-centered or organization-centered. Yeah. The, the picture is much bigger. Yeah. It's about humanity. It's providing humanitarian assistance. And alhamdulillah, I think Islamic Relief has proven itself to be a leader actually in the field. We have United Nations accreditation. In fact, Islamic Relief sits on many of the boards that develop policy for humanitarian organizations um, at United Nations level. We are consulted. In fact, I forgot to mention the Disaster Emergency Committee is headed by a previous country director of Islamic Relief. So you can imagine at the head of the Disaster Emergency Committee, at the head of Oxfam and all these other organizations is a previous head of Islamic Relief. So I just just wanted to go back a little. So um, you are very passionate about you know, humanitarian work. And yeah. then one of the other passions is the youth. Oh, of course. Yes. So I, so for, for the youth, I mean, we, like, they're really busy and they um, they want to get involved. They don't always yeah. know how or they yes. don't know the first step or 
what would you what kind of advice would you give to youth i'd say your responsibilities are only going to increase right <laughs> you will look back and wish that you had done more when you were younger yeah. it's an, it's just natural i suppose you know when you at campus and uh, i'm not too sure if that i mean and i know campus can get very hectic yes. but the reality is you know as you get older you know and you move out of campus into your career and so on you get married and families develop and you know and so on your responsibilities only increase and your youth doesn't come back to you right but again i say youth it's not a it's not it's not your age youth is defined by your passion by your enthusiasm by your vision your conviction so in many cases i challenge challenges out there i consider myself to be younger than many people of my age right because it's what 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 do you want to give right you don't want to leave this world when you still have some something left in the tank you know what i'm saying you know exp- spend everything and the reality is we don't know when we're going to leave um just over the weekend uh, you know very sad uh, close extended family member of mine passed away uh, he's 47 years old and you hear nowadays of so many people passing away at a younger age the reality is we don't know how long we're going to be here right and when you leave this dunya like i said you want to be you want to leave having been used up mm-hmm. so whatever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enabled you what he's given all of us talents he's given all of us abilities not all of us are going to be uh, you know the ceo of a major corporate not all of us are destined to be you know some famous person in whatever field but we all have unique talents we have unique abilities and the question we all must ask ourselves is how do i use my talent my ability which ultimately allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you he's endowed you with whatever ability and talent and resources you have how do i use that to earn something much better right as the ayah in the quran which is uh, i know earlier on khalil asked me one of my favorite there are so many it's different difficult to choose one but there's one ayah in particular that i think of it's where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا ايها الذين امنوا هل ادلكم على تجاره تنجيكم من عذاب اليم تؤمنون بالله ورسوله وتجاهدون في سبيل الله باموالكم وانفسكم ذلكم خير لكم ان كنتم تعلمون كيس نوت وان ايز باسج فروم سوره الصف الله سبحانه وتعالى سيز او يو بيليف شال اي ليد يو تو ا تريد ذات ويل سيف يو فروم ا تيربل تورمنت رايت الله سبحانه وتعالى in his mercy is asking shall i lead you to something that will save you now who doesn't want to be saved from the fire of jahannam it's a rhetorical question right but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking do do you want to be led to this do you want me to show you this and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then answers and the way to do that is tu'minuna billahi to believe in allah right wa tujahiduna fi sabilillahi bi amwalikum wa anfusikum to strive in the path of allah to strive in allah's way exert yourself striving is not giving half measures striving is giving everything that you've got right and give what allah has given you in his path be am walikum with your positions wa anfusikum and with yourself so what what is allah your talent your ability it's not only about wealth right you may be have, you have an ability to deal uh, you know in a nice way with people you can convince people to do anything so imagine like those three people the founders of islamic relief as dr hani calls them because you know, out of his modesty you know 
he put in so much effort and work and sincere effort. That's why we are where we are today as well. But imagine you encourage somebody to give a donation and that donation saves someone's life or has some impact. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts barakah in the end. And it multiplies as he wills. Right? You share in that same reward. So it's not only about resources. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to hold us accountable for what we didn't have. And then what does Allah say? In return, it's amazing, right? It's, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ that, that would be better for you if only you knew. So like telling us, look, it would be better for you if you did that. But you're planning, no, you're saving for this, you know. I, I don't want to tire myself out because, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you want to save something for, it's okay, we must plan and so on. But, you know, who knows, yes. right? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, the reward for that, the, the ayat after that, I'll have to check up the reference, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises, what do you get in return for that? If you give me, it's so beautiful, I have to just look for it, okay? <laughs> if you give me a second... I'll just... Is it okay, Khalil? Should I say it? Okay. Right? That will be better for you if only you knew. Now look what you get in return for that. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That if you do that, if you spend of yourself, of, of your wealth and yourselves, and think about it, Allah has given it to you. Right? So you didn't earn it. It was written for you when you were in your mother's womb. Whatever you receive in this dunya, you only are going to get what Allah has ordained for you. So, what Allah has given you, exchange it for something much better, right? And what is it? يَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Allah will forgive your sins. وَيُدْخِلْكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will admit you to gardens beneath which rivers flow. وَمَسَاكِنَ طَيِّبَةً فِي جَنَّاتِ عَدْلِ And to beautiful mansions in this garden of eternity. ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ this is indeed the supreme achievement, right? So it's not about the, the house, it's not about the car. The supreme achievement is that we earn Allah's pleasure and His mercy and to enter into Jannah. That's what it's about. That's why we are here. That, that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us on this dunya, you know, to earn as much as we can. Your, your rizq has been determined, you know, and, uh, but what hasn't been determined is how much good deeds, although Allah knows it. You have the ability to acquire as much as you can and get this reward in exchange, which is much, you know, way beyond what we can imagine. A favorite moment at Islamic Relief, I think there are a number of them. One, and I, I wish I had the picture here now, was, was when I got a report of a project that was funded by Islamic Relief. It was, it was called the Multisectoral Project. It was funded by Islamic Relief South Africa in particular. It covered um, areas of education, um, food, uh, security, and also medical. Right? That, that's why they called it the multi-sectoral project, because yeah. it covered all three of these areas. The two reasons what made me very happy. Firstly, the, the, the report, when we've seen how many people benefited through this project. Imagine, through the funding, and this was donors, South African donors, we set up five field hospitals in Syria, in Aleppo and around Aleppo and Idlib, in very hard to reach places, areas in the mountains where people had literally gone to seek shelter from the bombing. And we set up field hospitals where these people could now access medical treatment. From October 
2017 through to May 2018, in these five field hospitals, our staff had treated more than 26,000 patients, right? And this is the report we received. More than 26,000 patients were treated in these medical, through these um, facilities. The other, the educational aspect of it, and I said, I wish I had the picture here. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's of of these young Syrian children who knew nothing but war. You can imagine any child that is younger than the age of eight years old in Syria has grown up knowing nothing but war. And these children uh, were at special needs because they had missed out on education for a number of years. You know, and, and this is again, you asked what makes us different. different. When we go into an area, we don't just do a copy-paste approach. It's not just about feeding people. It's not just about providing shelter. What about the, the, like those special special needs groups within the bigger group? So we, we identified that there were children that needed remedial education, right? There were five, 527 children who, and then we provided all the equipment for, the, for teaching them, which was the desks, boards, and everything, and covered the cost of the teachers for a period in order to provide remedial uh, education so that they could reach a level that they could enter the mainstream schooling system. But the picture of these kids and the smiles on their faces... That's what on the feed of Islamic Relief. Yeah, it, yeah. it's my favorite picture. Right? Whenever... I, I, I look at, whenever I'm feeling a bit depressed or down or so, I look at this picture and it just raises my spirits. And yeah, so that was something I think for me, um, when I received that report and I read it, it was really a heartwarming experience and it's always something that I remember very fondly because it was our donors. And another special part of that project was that one of those field hospitals, we had estimated that the essential equipment was costing around 300,000 rand. And we embarked on this drive during Ramadan of 2017. Two weeks after Ramadan, there was I got a call from a donor. Um, or I didn't know the, 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 the person at the time. He phoned me up and he told me he wanted to come and speak to me about the, um, you know, the, the pledge. We had a pledge line on ITV that he wanted to come and speak to me about the pledge. He wanted to make a contribution. And he came here and he said, we started talking. His brother's name was Ridwan Badin. I never met him before and he started chatting to me. He told me, he said, Yusuf, I've seen, you know, uh, the videos and the material that you guys presented on ITV. It really touched me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to raise funds for a field to equip a field hospital. So I said, okay, fine. I mean, like, what you plan to do? And then he told me what his plan was. He was an avid runner and he said he was going to get his running buddies involved and he had a plan of how we would collect money from friends and family and literally for every race they would raise funds. Brother Edwan passed away two months after that. So unexpected. He was so fit. He was like, he used to run literally 60 or 70 kilometers a week. And he took ill on a Sunday morning and he passed away four days, five days later. But his friends, his running friends, at that, at that stage when he had passed away, he had raised 60,000 rand of the 300,000. And then his friends took on the responsibility to complete the, the fundraising initiative that he had started. And before we launched the project, they actually had raised 327,000 rand, I think they managed to raise. And this for me was like such an amazing thing because his friends... He's, and, and I imagine his intention 
was to raise the funds. He couldn't fulfill it, but his friends took it up. So everyone that was involved in that, and I think there was about 30 or 40 of these running buddies, everybody contributed, and they all shared in that. And we were just, I feel so privileged that, like we say at Islamic Relief, we are just a vehicle, you know. Yes. It's not about us. We are a, a vehicle for those who want to, who in fact, are the rights holders that we refer to, they have a right over us, and, and of those who have, and to facilitate the transfer of rights from those who have to those who are in need. And alhamdulillah, we, we're so f- grateful to be part of that uh, wonderful initiative. Yeah. Uh, after we had sold Rosmid and, you know, where things were a bit almost normal, but now at Islamic Relief, it's almost like back to that. And it's slightly different in the sense that, you know, the nature of the work is different, but you can't do this without having the support of your family. Uh, and uh, I'm very fortunate, alhamdulillah, my family is very supportive and I always think that, you know, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever supports a good cause shares in that reward and my family will share, maybe get, you know, in, as I said before, and Allah protect us, you know, sometimes we do things and there's a little bit of riya in it, you know, Allah protect us from that, you know, everything should be for his sake, um, but those that support you, they get the full reward, mm-hmm. right? And uh, alhamdulillah, even like to come back here this evening, I left here just before Maghrib. Mm-hmm. So I literally just went home at supper and came back. But my wife, alhamdulillah, she didn't complain, you know, no complaints or anything. And I think um, I've seen this even at the MSA, um, Brother Khalil bear me up. When we were at, when I was involved with the MSA and we were run, running Rosmeed at the time, I used to find that when I, I spend time on MSA work, then the turnover increases. It was like amazing. Right? Yeah. It, it, it was amazing. Yes. I'm, I'm not to say it yes. was amazing. When, when we have an MSA conference or event, and I know that weekend I'm going to be at UCT, at Kramer Building, because, you know, RIS oh, is, yes. is happening. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. But then I'd find out afterwards, afterwards you check the number, but you know, alhamdulillah, how did it happen? But again, it's the barakah. And I firmly believe that there must be a balance. Surely, um, I try as best as possible to make time for my family. Um, it's very important, especially I have children that are growing up. I have to be there for them. Um, but when you dedicate uh, your life to something bigger than yourself, where you're serving others in the service of humanity, in service of Allah's creation. And, and again, I'm so grateful. I can't thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enough for having given me this opportunity. It's not by my intelligence. It's not by, you know, my, my planning it is Allah that has put me in this position and I'm so grateful for it but the you feel the barakah in your family you know so when you do this type of thing when you when you when you see, and it doesn't have to be in an organization you know for the listeners and the viewers out there do something in service of Allah's deen in service of his creation and you find this barakah in, you know in other things that you do Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, on the day of Qiyamah people will be brought forth in groups, right? Uh, that people will be brought forth in groups, right? Now, on the day of Qiyamah, you're going to come forward in groups. The groups of sinners will come forth, will be brought forth together. The groups that had common interest, common vision, common purpose, and a common belief and, and, and like I said, their the, the service to Islam. Now imagine 
you come forward in a group and you look around you and you see Sayyidina Abu Bakr standing, you know, a few people away from you, Sayyidina Omar standing, you know, or Sayyidina Aisha, Sayyidina Hadi. Imagine you see them around you, right? And it's not impossible. It's not impossible, right, if we prepare to work for it. So I will say, you know, think think of that. Think about what you what you want the end to be like. This is not the end. This temporary dunya with all its trimmings and attractions and how, you know, the beauty that Allah has put on you as a test, this is not the end. We are working for something much, much greater. So use what Allah has given you. Use it to the best of your ability and don't leave this world until you are spent out. Yeah. Shukran so much for your time for being here again with us. My pleasure. It's been an honor. Hey, and wish you all the very best for the future. Shukran so much, inshallah. The future, the future is bright. We must never be despondent. All this, deen, this is not our, our deen. This is Allah's deen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just waiting for people to take up that responsibility. Take up, you know, just to do something. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't put a burden beyond our ability. Do something. Whoever's prepared to do it, it's not reserved for the sheikhs or the imams or the whoever. Whoever's prepared to take that responsibility, this opportunity, inshallah. So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.